0: This is The Next Level, a brand new show on the Packet Bushers Community Channel, where real network professionals charge in the difficult IT management situations, lead from the front, and get it right. Join us as we ask the hard questions that most people are too afraid to ask and figure out how to drive the positive change you want to see. We'll take you from the CLI to CIO. I'm Damon Hoising from Packet Brigade. You can find me on Twitter at Packet Brigade.
1: Hi, and I'm Drew conry mari from Packet Pushers, and I'm on Twitter at Drew underscore CM. You know, I think most of us can agree that continued training is really critical to keeping up with technology and advancing our careers. And for instance, on Datanauts episode 21, they talked about how to beat skills entropy, how to you know, keep those skills up to date. And Today, we're going to expand on that a little bit and talk about it from a manager and training perspective.
0: Joining us today is Colin Morrissey, Senior Network Engineer and Adjunct Lecturer Colleen, please introduce yourself and tell the audience a bit about your technical training and teaching background.
2: Sure, Damien. So I have been working in the networking industry for almost 20 years at this point. I started my career at an ISP. I did everything from customer support to system administration to network engineering. Um, After I worked at the ISP, I took a job at a local university where I've been teaching as part of the Cisco Network Academy, and I also have full-time responsibility doing networking as a network engineer.
0: Just a shameless plug, uh, no matter how many RIT flags are at Cisco Tech, RPI, Cisco Academy is still the Olympic gold medal champion Cisco Academy.
2: I think that's true.
0: Um, I think it helped to start out by listing different types of training and describing them a bit. Colin, can you describe a few of the training programs that you've led or participated in?
2: Sure. Like I said, I've been teaching classes that are part of the Cisco Academy and some that are not, but still networking focused at RPI, as you alluded to, um, for about 12 years now. So these are undergraduate classes, which are part of the computer science department as electives usually senior and juniors, although sometimes we have um, freshmen, and sophomore in the classes that they've already done some of this stuff earlier on in their high school careers, which some have. Um, I've instructed classes that were using the academy course material for CCNA route and switch, CCNP route and switch, CCNA voice, and CCNA security. We've also done CCIE classes in the past. All the classes are very heavy on hands-on labs. Students usually spend three to four hours in a lecture, and then an additional four hours per week working on hands-on labs, plus another four hours per week doing reading on average. So that's an investment of 12 hours per week over 15 weeks, which is uh, 180 hours. The courses run per semester, so again, over a 15-week period. Additionally, I have, and am currently running CCNA training at a consulting company for their employees, following essentially the same structures, classes that are part of the academy here at RPI. Um, In the past, I have also done a few three to five day boot camps, but mainly for other Cisco Academy instructors because RPI is the um, Northeast Regional Cisco Academy. So a lot of the other instructors come here for training.
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty special that you have that level of training available. I think that's pretty unusual in most Cisco academies that I've seen uh, that have CCIE offerings.
2: Yeah, we, that's not part of the official Cisco Academy. We've just offered, and some of those other topics, you know, CIS, um, CCNA voice and CCNA security aren't necessarily part of the curriculum, but there are things that we've kind of developed in-house here to fit some of the um, requirements or needs that the students want and create curriculum and labs out of our own and then taught the classes here.
0: Some other types of training I was thinking I was going to mention just to kind of round out to make it a really general idea of training right now. We can get into some of the details as we come along. Um, I think everybody knows a lot about certifications in this field. Reading, I mentioned a lot of that in your coursework, but also independent reading. Um, Mentorship uh, doesn't get mentioned enough, I think. Hands-on experience and working on projects. I think uh, practicing labs certainly is part of that uh, attending conferences too i think uh there's a lot to be learned in different conference tracks especially practitioner-based conferences and i think doing design actually doing doing uh, architecting solutions and designs is a interesting learning or training in of itself and also i would be a remiss if i didn't plug podcasts because you can file for cpe credits for your cisp if you <laughs> if you do podcast training, gotta mention so, podcasts. Yeah, so in in that vein, I was interested, Drew, because you're you know in your te- as your technical writer and content manager background, you're fluent in a lot of jargon and functions of networking components. Would you venture to say that writing about IT is a form of training?
1: Uh, I guess I'd be hesitant to say that it's a form of training in the sense of you know a, a certification course, but I do think it's really valuable if you want to get a sense of how well do I understand a topic. Uh, how strong am I in a particular area, you'll find out when you have to write about something that you will find areas, okay, I'm very confident here, but maybe I'm a little weak on this side and maybe I don't understand it as well as I thought and I've got to go brush up a little bit. So from that regard, I think writing is a great opportunity for folks who want to sort of test themselves and say, how well do I know this? I think it's also very useful if you're thinking about blogging because there's a whole community of networking and IT bloggers out there who will give you feedback, who will offer tips, who will offer critiques and criticism, exchange ideas that the learning um, possibilities are really magnified when you try to write something and then and then put it out on the internet for people to to, to read and give you feedback. I'm curious, since um, Damien and Colleen, you're both uh, IT professionals, what kind of training have you felt has been the most effective for you? Whether you know from a, the standpoint of cost efficiency or just time efficient.
2: I mean, I think as far as like time efficiency, obviously the three or five day boot camps, you know, throw everything in at once. But um, personally, I don't like to learn that way. I think, you know, the answer to the question is very individualized. I learn better over a longer period of time when I have time to absorb and think about things. So I like to kind of work at my own pace. I would prefer, you know, some sort of training that I kind of did on my own or that met, you know, on a weekly basis and gave me some time at home to digest and go over reading, go over concepts. Um, I tend to flag and burn out during day-long or multi-day boot camps, and I think it's also easy to get distracted by things going on, you know, back in the office or at home. I mean, it's really difficult for me, and I'm not sure if that's true for you too, Damien, but to go sit in a classroom, you know, for three days in a row or five days in a row, because all the stuff, you know, all the troubles and emails and all those other things are waiting for you, and sometimes they interrupt you during the day as well.
1: It's interesting that you say that it's very individualized because I'll include a link to it, but Ethan Banks wrote a a blog uh, late last year about a 10-day boot camp that he went to for a CCIE refresh, and his perspective was almost the opposite. He loves he talked about how he loves the firehose, just information coming at him, coming at him, coming at him. That's the way he likes to learn, and he found that very useful. So I think you're right that you do have to kind of have a sense of your own learning style and what's going to work for you.
2: Yeah, I, I think it is different for everybody. But Net. I think as far as cost efficiency, you know, some of it is location comes into play. So you're talking about going someplace for 10 days, you know, did you have to travel and pay for a hotel? Like a lot of that comes into play as well.
0: I think I'm going to be a diplomat and agree with everybody. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, nobody, I think Colleen made a really excellent point, uh, that it really depends uh, on the individual. Like everybody is, has different learning mechanisms, whether they're kinesthetic or auditory or, uh, verbal or, or so forth. Um, I like the water, I like drinking from the fire hose, but I definitely believe most education educators and professionals will agree. You're going to retain a lot more by interacting with the material over a longer period of time than doing a boot camp. By like a boot camp, you can get you over the hump, but then if you don't act on that knowledge very quickly or very often, then you'll forget a lot, I think. And... So, kind of along that vein, if you are fortunate to live near uh, one of the top-notch Cisco academies, you, you know, instead of spending your five, seven thousand dollars on a five-day boot camp, uh, you can get a full, you know, semester-long university computer science course or Cisco Academy offering that will give you lab, lecture, uh, and a lot more time to interact with the material. So, I think uh, most folks would get a much richer experience out of that format.
2: Yeah. And kind of going off on that now, you know, there's the option to do all that stuff online, but that's also very individualized. I'd rather, you know, go to a classroom in person, interact with the instructor, talk to other students, which I know you can get some of that online, but maybe I'm just old fashioned, but you know, for those that don't want to travel or want to do a university course, you know, there's the option to do that no matter where you are now, if you like learning that way.
0: One thing I would, um, comment i would make is uh if you're going to do the online you know get some recommendations or referrals from your colleagues to see what what's good and what's not um i had a really bad experience with uh pods when i was doing my vcp training that were just you know i think they were just too oversubscribed and it just didn't perform very well i could have you know done the most of the time i spent was troubleshooting the pod so yeah totally get with the legit you know, vendor like Irony or somebody that's got a good rep, or somebody that you know your friends have have participated in.
1: Colleen, you know, as, as an instructor, I think you probably have to deal with both you know, theoretical and practical materials. Do you find that uh, some material is better done via lecture, and some is hands on or reading?
2: Yeah, I mean, most of the stuff that I instruct with, you know, a lot of the Cisco um, technologies and implementations, it's it's really. Personally, I think it's best done with the inductive approach, so using labs. So I have students in my classes working right away um, in their labs with technology that we don't cover in the lecture, and so they're working with these and the commands in a lab environment before we cover them, and that forces them to do some of their own minimal reading or Googling ahead of time, and then when we get to the point of covering the topic in a lecture... Or independently, if they're reading, you know, the full chapter in the book, it seems to really reinforce the concept since they have already been using it in the lab. I also like the lab environment because, you know, things don't always work as expected in the lab. And there's a real learning opportunity involved when you have to troubleshoot something because it's not working exactly how the book tells you it should be working.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So I guess to answer your question, I, I think that I... Prefer labs and reading to really master material, and then lectures are a plus and definitely helpful. Um, but you know, the core blocks would be labs and reading material.
0: Do you think that the career phase or technical level of the training matters in terms of what form of training is most effective? So, one example is let's say you have a newly minted CCNA, um, it might be helpful for them to get some a couple years of job experience before trying to go to CCIE so that they can really understand okay, I can configure out on a stick, but when would I actually do that (laughs) Um, in a company? Um, Or another example might be, you know, folks who are preparing for CCA, it's pretty rare to find a Cisco Academy available. Or uh, you may have someone who's a cert junkie that's got a bazillion certs and maybe they should get out of their shell and go to a conference, you know what I mean? So what do you think about the types of training as it relates to your your spot, you know, where you are in your career?
2: I think... As you alluded to earlier, Damien, the training really has to be something that you will use to be effective. So, you know, I think anyone in IT could probably benefit from an entry-level course like CCNA as you cover a lot of theory, a lot of fundamentals, a lot of basics that really has, you know, crossover into other fields. But anything like more focused, you know, if you were going to go to, you know, CCNP, security boot camp or something like that. I think that you really have to be putting that to use after you leave to get value out of it. Or as you said, it's gonna fade out of your mind. You know, not really sure what the value would be. You you, you do learn and you're expanding, but unless you're working with that technology and those devices on a regular basis, you're not really gonna build upon what you learned.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, kind of getting their feet wet with their CCNA, so they know not to make their whole company a flat, a flat slash eight network. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and then go and then getting them some experience before they move on. Yeah,
2: yeah, and I, I mean, I alluded to we've tried to do some CCIE level classes um, here at RPI, and we still will run it as a independent study. But in the twelve years that I've been doing this, we've only had one student actually pass the CCIE lab and become a CCIE. You know as an undergrad before they have graduated and have a job and real world experience. Whereas we have many, you know, they graduate from here with a CCNP um, usually around switch and they go and they work for a few years and then they take the lab and then they pass. I think it's, you know, at that level, at that, you know, expert type level, whether it's Cisco or anything, you really do need to have some real experience, you know, putting to practice what you learned Um, before you're really able to accomplish that. You know, the one student we had was a real anomaly. He was very, very bright, obviously. But I think it's really difficult to be able to get that level, attain that level without some real-world experience.
1: Is there, like, a sort of rule of thumb, you know, how many years of experience I want to have in the trenches before I go toward each level of certification
2: I would say that's probably individualized, too. I mean, I worked for seven years in the trenches before I even started looking at kind of the certification stuff. I mean, I had a lot of experience, but there was still no way that I could just, you know, walk in and pass the CCIA lab exam. I spent, you know, once I decided that I wanted to go down that path, you know, after having seven years of experience, I spent a good four to six months kind of on my own, you know, working through labs. I didn't go to a boot camp, but I I set aside time every week to do a practice lab and go over it. And I did that for probably, yeah, four to six months before I actually attempted to take the lab exam. I mean, again, it's going to depend on where you are and how much, how much time you want to invest in your training as well.
0: That was a lab exam for the CCIE, right, Colleen? Yes, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that makes sense. Um, and I think there's a, another podcast episode in there if we don't get scooped by one of the other <laughs> other ones about a career ladder definition. So I had some <laughs> ideas about that. We can talk some okay. more.
1: Put some notes on that uh, to the side. Um, Colleen, you had mentioned earlier about taking a certification that gives you more of some broad general knowledge. that can be applied sort of across silos. And in the industry now, we're hearing about the full stack engineer or being a generalist or needing to have a bunch of other skill sets, you know, sort of uh, under your belt. So other than traditional routing and switching, what are some areas that engineers should be training in?
2: Well, I think um, security is very important. I think that there could be some definitely specialized uh, security training that would be beneficial. Um, I think, you know, when we talk about that expert level, it's really difficult to be uh, generalized. I mean, it's really difficult to have a level of expert knowledge in multiple, you know, different technologies. Um, what I've seen a lot is that, you know, the IT side, kind of the, you know, engineering slash technical side really needs some more help with things like project management and, you know, general IT principles. You know, I, I sat through, I know a lot of people think it's, you know, rubbish, but I sat through a three-day boot camp on ITIL and I actually found it pretty um, pretty beneficial just to kind of think of those concepts that usually, you know, day-to-day I'm programming routers and switches and that kind of thinking about the, you know, service delivery end-to-end and how to kind of make that better for the enterprise.
0: Yeah, I, ITIL is great. Um, I'm really, um, I think that that could be emphasized some more. And uh, if Ranty Gregg were here, he'd probably shout out us. You don't about, even uh, <laughs> need Ranty
1: Greg to get say bad things about ITIL.
0: Yeah, but but the thing is, I think about ITIL, like anything, is like if it's being rammed down your throat, you hate it. But if it's something that you can choose to elect to apply, it's very useful. Like if you're designing a new program or a new uh, workflow or, you know, a new troubleshooting workflow or change control process, like there's a lot of really good material in there that uh, people have already figured out. So Yeah, and I about- think
2: it's something you can pick and choose from you know, yeah. to start from scratch and do a full, you know, ITIL implementation, I think sounds insurmountable, but, you know, for like a service to kind of go through the process and, you know, what, what I see is a lot of lack of documentation, lack of, you know, process and follow through, change management is a big deal. Um, I think that there could be a lot of benefits to training technical people on some of those aspects.
0: So how about that, Drew? The- engineers should get some technical communication uh, training. What do you think about that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think better communication is good for everyone, regardless of profession. Yeah, I guess that may fall into the sort of, quote unquote, soft skills uh, area, which people tend to poo-poo, but I I, I really do think it's uh, it's very useful, particularly if you're interested in moving up the ladder or moving into management, that you, you really do have to be able to communicate. Uh, we also hear a lot about Uh, automation, network automation, there's so much going on with virtualization and cloud. Um, Colleen, are there things there that people should be thinking about as they look at a career in networking too? You can't just live in that networking silo anymore.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think, you know, virtualization is definitely a big deal. (laughs) And I think that there's a lot of training that's available out there, you know, whether it's network specific or different types of services, Cloud, I I really don't have a lot of experience or opinion with at this point. Everything that I'm still doing is in-house. So I know that there is a new CCNA cloud certification. I haven't looked at it, to be honest, so I can't speak to it. But I think it's more about the products that Cisco offers and how to use them but understanding the again general principles about security and disaster recovery all all the things you need to talk to think about as an IT engineer would apply to the cloud as well
0: we've kind of identified a lot of different types of training that'd be useful for professionals in different stages of their career i wonder what are some ways to motivate engineers to pursue training both from the perspective of motivating oneself as an engineer or from the manager or a group leader to motivate others so i think a lot of us have that thirst for knowledge, um, but what are some other ways to, to motivate folks to go after training?
2: Um, I think that the employee or the you know, engineer has to wanna to do the training. So it has to be thirst for knowledge. It has to be something that will help them with their current job, whether it makes it easier or gives them new ideas, um, opportunities, maybe not immediate opportunities, but opportunities in the future. I don't think you can force or try to get anyone to do training if they don't want to. Um, I think it really has to be something that someone's looking for. And as far as motivating, motivating them to want to do so would have to be some reward that they're getting for it. You know, maybe it's not tangible. Maybe it is just knowledge or better opportunities, but.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I kind of believe um, that, it's important for professionals to kind of kick it up a notch every couple of years and kind of expand themselves a little bit. And when I was a manager, I tried to do the lead with the carrot and the stick. So, um, you know, the stick was kind of, uh, if we had the annual, uh, review, performance review, we'd put one training goal in there. It doesn't mean, Hey, you have to go out and get a CCA. It could mean something discreet and tangible and totally accomplishable within their job function but had to do some kind of training just so they're thinking about it. And hopefully they, they picked it or they picked from a, a range of options. And then on the carrot side, you're right. There's got to be some rewards. So the first, I think, recognition among your peers. You know, we always encouraged people and bragged about them and said they did really great Prom- promotions. So, you know, whether it's a job title change, working on bigger projects, opportunities to lead a group. So I think those are things that are are within the control. And then I think from an employee's perspective, um, if you want to think about increasing your market value, like if you're switching companies, that definitely will will make a difference. I think it's like anything else. You know, you have a piece of paper you can get in, but whether or not you can make it depends on your actual knowledge and how much you can actually perform. But those, those kinds of things do help staying out. And then I wondered if you think it's a legitimate one as well, Colleen, that, you know, how many times we've uh, gotten painful calls in the middle of the night and outages and, you know, been pulling 30-hour days or crazy, crazy tough experiences at work because something blew up. Do you think that if you have enough training that you can reduce your, your mean time to recovery, you can, you know, you have that back pocket ideas to to get through the night quicker and go back to bed?
2: Yeah, I think in many cases, maybe you're able to come up with more creative solutions or able to see problems, you know, before you normally would because you've had some exposure through training. I mean, it's definitely not going to be a cure-all for all of those problems, but I think it can definitely help to, you know, cut them down or mitigate how often they happen.
1: I'd like to get um, both of your perspectives on this because the perception that I have from being part of the, the packet pushers in the IT community is that a lot of the training responsibility sort of falls on the employee. I don't get a sense that there's necessarily a lot of managerial or um, business support for folks going out and learning. The, the thing I hear the most is oh, I'm doing this on my own or I'm spending some time you know, myself. I'm even putting my own money on the table to get this training. So... Uh, it, One, is that uh, an accurate perception? And two, I mean, that doesn't seem fair to me.
2: Hmm. In my experience, um, I've never had to outlay um, too much of my own money. I won't say none of my own money. In my experience, though, what you're saying, Drew, is true, is that it's not really pushed down from the top to the bottom. But I find that if I ask for certain training opportunities or certain training classes, Um, In almost all cases, they would be approved. So maybe there needs to be some amount of, you know, proactive uh, assertiveness from the employee and getting the training that they need and want. Um, What Damien said about, you know, putting that on a employee's um, PMT or performance management tool or whatever you want to call it. I've never actually had those type of things in my experience where training was something, okay, you know, you need to do this every year. It's something that I've always asked for and the employer has been supportive of but nothing that they've kind of offered outright without kind of that little nudge from myself
1: so you think it's it's there it it's there but you have to go and ask for it
2: yeah that's that's my experience i'm sure it's different in all different companies mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I guess it's definitely – I guess maybe I have my own bias because <laughs> it's something I value. When I was a manager, I, I went to bat for it. Um, I, I would suggest kind of on building what Colleen says about being a go-getter and initiating as the employee. I would say even when you're interviewing for the job, ask the potential employer, do they have a training budget? And, you know, have they sent somebody to boot camp last year? It is a big investment from the company in terms of, you know, capital and time off away from the office um so for for the employer for the manager i would encourage you to support that but may, but be clear up front what your expectations are right like uh if you just shell out seven grand for someone to go get certified and then they leave the next month to go to work for a higher paying job uh and that doesn't meet your expectations uh you know that could be a nasty situation so we really ought to develop an expectation that if we're going to fund you there's some kind of time commitment so we can reap the benefit of your training and a lot of companies will have a year or some kind of commitment like that. But I would challenge all managers out there or IT directors to allocate ten percent of your budget to training. Some people will think that's not a lot, some people think I'm crazy. But uh someone had a nice saying that, you know, uh you think about how expensive it's to train people. Well think about how expensive it'd be to the company if you didn't train them ever and they stayed. <laughs>
1: that's a crazy great- <laughs> <laughs> That is a good one. <laughs> that is true. I mean I understand that you know managers have to walk that balance between I'm just training you up and some other organization is going to get the benefit. But I I I do feel like based on my own perception what I hear that it seems like there needs to be more support organizationally for training uh because folks are folks are really interested folks want to be better at their job and it benefits everybody.
2: Yeah, I agree. And there's a lot of training out there that is, you know, if if money is the issue, you know, there's still the time commitment, but there's a lot of training that people can take advantage of that's very low cost, if not free.
1: Yeah, it does seem like the training options are increasing, the, the availability of material out there.
0: There are some uh, tr- training cost hacks out there where you can get in an online college that, you know, basically just does certifications or something and get a really, really reduced um voucher or access to, to things and there's a lot of bundled training things so and there's a lot of free stuff yeah and not all training and certifications like we talked about today some of it's leading a project or going to a conference or writing about something um, so there's lots of ways to get get training even if you don't have a big budget
2: yeah and a lot of vendors offer some levels of training for free you know if you're mm. even just interested in their products
0: that is a so- re- really good pro tip, Colleen. Mm. Because uh, so, uh, one way, if uh, I've had this experience before, it made me think of is that, let's say your organization doesn't have a training budget per se, but you have a budget for infrastructure. Well, have the have the switch vendor include training on the in, on the quote, you know, so kind of slide it in with the paperclip concept, yeah. you know, kind of paperclip to the switch purchase.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, conferences, like you said, are a great thing. And usually, you know, depending on what kind of industry you work in, there's usually some sort of community of like-minded or, you know, like individuals that will meet on a regular basis. You know, like I'm in the education industry. So there's like a group of um, other, you know, instructors and we meet like on a yearly basis and people will give presentations. I mean, I would consider that training as well. And that's nothing that's going to cost any money.
0: That's probably the highest form of training. If you're going to give a talk at a practitioner conference or consume the talks at a practitioner conference, that that is probably the most important.
2: Mm-hmm. And a lot of, there's a lot of local user groups as right. well. So you know, local area technology groups. You know, attending their meetings. That's also, I would say, a form of training.
0: Yeah, I wonder if we could throw out some of those for our listeners. So some that come to my mind are VMUG and B-Side security conferences. Are there any that you, that you th- think of that are top of your mind? I'm thinking in my
2: head everything's kind of local, so I'm not yeah. going to um, offer it
0: out. Okay, no. It's time for Sanity Check, a segment where we listen to real engineers' questions like, why the heck does my manager do this thing that really drives me nuts? Names have been changed to protect the innocent. Here's a question that
1: came in from one of our listeners. My boss went to a conference and saw a really impressive presentation by Corporation X, and now she thinks we need to buy the product 5,000 and wants me to look into it, and I didn't see the business value of this product. We already have something similar in place, and I'm really upset. How do I get through to her?
2: It seems like if you just explain to your boss why you don't see the value of the product I mean, I'm not sure if the user that submitted the question have already done that, but you kind of express your opinions. That may be enough already.
0: I I've seen this before, where it's just you know one of those things like, hey, I saw a whiz bang thing. It's keeping up with the Joneses. Like, a company X has this you know product five thousand. Why don't we should have a product five thousand? So, and you really got to be able to speak the business language, and explain to them why it the, you know why you don't think it works, but. You know, sometimes they may not take your answer. Sometimes they may just say, you know what, I'm the boss and I'm saying we're going to buy it and you have to put it in. So in that situation, I think you need to go and find out, okay, well, what's the, you know, try maybe try to fight your battle, but if you don't win, you know, kind of, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. So say, okay, that's a really great idea. I understand you're really fired up about this technology. Can you explain to me a little bit about how it's going to help the business and how do you see it adding value to the business? and just keep asking them questions till you figure out what the heck they really want, and then find some way to patch in without blowing everything up. And then
2: ask for training on that product. Yeah.
0: <laughs> nicely done. All right. Nicely way done. to bring it back.
1: <laughs> I, yeah. I would say, based on a conversation we had on, on an earlier show about IT finance, if you're going to you know, question a potential purchase decision and also mention the fact that you've got similar technology in place, you, a, a hook that you can use is to say, you know... If you're looking for features X, Y, and Z, we've already got similar capabilities in an installed system, and you're looking at spending, you know, this six-figure, you know, capital upfront cost plus training and so on. Do, you, do we really want to go down this route instead of trying to hang it on a technology discussion of this product sucks and it's doing X when we should be doing Y? It may not resonate as much as hey, do you really want to drop all this money when we can do similar things with something we've already got in house?
0: I, I agree with that point. I think that'll work really well in a, a for-profit company. Where, where you have a common denominator motivating mm-hmm. people. All right, we'll do one more question. Let's see, this listener writes in, my boss is always running around talking on their Bluetooth. He asks us questions but doesn't focus or listen to our responses. It feels like we're not communicating. Why does he behave this way and what should I do about it?
1: <laughs> it seems like my teenager might be their boss.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a tough one.
2: Well, I think uh, nobody likes to go to meetings, but I think in this case, you know, a regularly scheduled meeting where you have with just you and your boss and you have an agenda of things that you want to talk about. And it's scheduled time on his or her calendar that might help to get some responses and to get your boss to listen to you.
0: I think that makes good sense. I sort of picture this boss as someone who's like one of those helicopter bosses (laughs) and they're just kind of hovering around to see if you're doing something. I think um if you can tell them like hey i'd love to talk about this but i'm um i'm getting this project done for you um can i fill you i got all the information you want but let me fill you in at this meeting maybe maybe that'll help
1: yeah this is a tricky one it's one of those situations where some some tact and some careful language is probably required to say you know hey boss do you mind taking that out of your ear for a second so i can you know give you a, a thoughtful response but yeah that's tricky
0: and one thing I would recommend is easier said than done, but try to speak up the first time it happens. If, if something like that, that sort of gnaws at you and bothers you happens over and over, it gets harder and harder to bring it up because then, then you kind of overreact and they've been doing this for a month and they're like, well, what's wrong today? So if you can try to bring it up in the heat of the moment because it's a lot easier than dealing with it later.
1: Or maybe just call them on their cell phone and just talk right into their Bluetooth. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a really good idea.
1: So if you find yourself frustrated or scratching your head about something that IT management's doing and you want to ask us about it, you can send us an email at nextlevel@packetbrigade.com. at packetbrigade.com. You can also use the anonymous survey link that'll be in the show notes. And as you can tell, all sources are going to be kept confidential and real names are never used on the air.
0: Thanks for joining us on The Next Level. I'm Damien Hoising. You can contact me at Damien at packetbrigade.com. I blog on Packet Brigade and on Packet Pushers. And
1: I'm Drew Conry murray and you can find my blogs on PacketPushers.net. You can hear me on the Network Break podcast, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Drew underscore Colleen,
0: how can folks get in touch with you? Would you like to share a particular social media reference or handle?
2: I am pretty low profile, but I am at Twitter at ColleenCMW. Um, you can also reach me via email, which you can find my email in the show link.
1: All right. Well, we'd love to get your feedback on the show. You can leave comments on the blog post that accompanies this podcast on PacketPusher.net or drop us a line at at nextlevelatpacketbrigade.com. Colleen, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank
2: you, both of you.
0: Thank you, Colleen.